uh, story of an unlikely hero found in Judges chapter 7. But as we do that, let me just pray for us. Uh, if you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And uh, Father, I pray that as we discover this text together, that you would speak to our hearts. And Father, that you would show us who you are and that you are a big and mighty God. A God who saves, a God who changes lives, and a God who takes us um, through all the obstacles and challenges we have. Lord, you're a God who says very, very clearly in your word that you'll never leave nor forsake us. And so, Father, I pray that you would allow us to just find comfort and rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today uh, I have a couple of things that I want to share with you. One, I'm going to share uh, a confession with you. Uh, I'm going to share an apology with you, and I'm going to share, share a challenge. And one of the texts that um, just really has grabbed my heart since I've always known it is a story about a guy named Gideon, a pretty average guy who is obedient to the Lord. The crazy thing is, though I've known this story and heard it since I was a child, I've actually never preached this text, ever. And so this is the very first time I've ever preached it, um, actually the second time because I did it earlier. But I want you just to read along with me. If it, and I want you to just join me with this journey. And I want you to think not on this some spiritual high that you're on, but I want you to just read the text of this Bible with me and as we look and discover this. It says that early in the morning, Jeroboam, which is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of the Midian was north of them in the valley near the, ha- the hill of Moray. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And so what he says is, he goes, Gideon, you've got 32,000 men. And by the way, they're going to go up against the Midianites, which have about 134,000 men. And they're wondering how we're going to do this. And then the Lord shows up and he says, Gideon, we're going to have to get rid of some of your men because you would go home bragging if you won the victory with 32,000. Now, I don't get this, but I'm like, okay, a fifth of the army is going to brag because so we're going to lower that number even more. Like that doesn't sound feasible to me. As a matter of fact, this is what he says. I want you to, verse 3, announce to the army that anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, at this point, I presume to think that Gideon was probably wondering that a few hundred men might leave. That if he goes to the men, he says, okay, guys, the Lord is going to allow us to send some of you home. And so if you're a little bit fearful, if you're a little bit trepidatious, if you're a little bit scared about going into this battle, you may go home. And all at once, I'm sure he believed two, three, maybe 400, maybe 1,000 men would go home. But look what happens. And so 22,000 men left. 22,000, well over half of the army are are gone. And now there's 10,000 that remain. Now, I don't know about you, but as a leader, I'm already a little bit fearful at this moment, just leading 32,000 up against 134,000. Now I know that 22,000 of them are gone, and I'm left with me and 10,000 men. And I'm wondering, what in the world are we going to do? Yes? I don't know about you, but there's nothing about this that sounds fun. There's nothing about this that I believe is going to be fun at all. And then the Lord says to Gideon this, Hey, Gideon, you still have too many. Do what? You still have too many. And so he says, 
Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. And if I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. And so he goes, there's going to be some that drink like dogs, and they're going to lap the water. There's going to be some that hit their knees, and they they drink the water. He says, there are going to be 300 of them who drank what? with cupped hands, cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you, and I will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. And so he takes it down from 32,000 to basically 300. 99% of his fleet, his men, are gone. And the Lord says, I'll accomplish everything I need to with you and 300 men. And at this point, I'm wondering, as a leader, how are you going to do this? And I'm already thinking up plans. Okay, here we go. If, if I'm going to do it, this is how I would do it. And ultimately, I, I'm sure that's something that Gideon is wrestling with. Matter of fact, look what he says. So Gideon goes, and the rest of the Israelites leave for home, but he keeps the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Underline that if you've got your Bible. They take over the provisions and the trumpets of others. Now the camp of Midian lay low uh, below him in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give, what? All of the Midian nights into your hands. And if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant uh, Pura. And listen to what they are saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pure, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Get this. You're 11 verses in, and you see that 22,000 of his men were terrified, and they left. God takes, and he literally moves out another, literally 97% of what's remaining leaves 300, and then you also have a fearful leader in Gideon. Because he said, Gideon, if you're afraid, then I want you to go down to the camp, and I want you to hear a word. Now, here's the bottom line. Every single one of us in here struggle with fear of some kind. You may be a tough, macho guy, and you may go, I'm not afraid of anything. But there are certain things in your life that are resonating in you deep down in your soul that cause fear. There are some of you that you're fearful because of things that are happening in your job situation. There are some of you that are fearful in what's happening around you in your home, and your marriage. For some of you, you're literally ushering kids out to college and it's fearful and it's trepidatious and you find yourself anxious and you're, you have anxiety and you're like, I don't know what we're going to do. And there's just so many mixture of emotions. For us at our house, we're fearful because we're sending our five-year-old into kindergarten. And I actually can only begin to, to know what it would be like sending him off to college because I'm already preparing myself for a good cry on the first day. But see, the bottom line is, is this, is that even as a pastor, I have to confess to you that I've really struggled with fear. I've really struggled with fear in, in decisions that we've made and things that God has called us to. Matter of fact, God called us to something about a year ago this August as we sat around with a group of leaders at a retreat for us. And I talked and shared where I thought God wanted us to go as a church and ultimately um, really to, to, to take some big steps. And here we are a year later, and I've never actually vocalized what I felt like God wanted us to do with our church. And the reason why is because I'm fearful, not of who God is or what God would do in this situation, not even the fact that God might fail fail me, because the bottom line is what he shared with me to do, if if we fail, I would rather die trying than die never, have, have never been obedient. 
But here's what I'm fearful of. I'm fearful of you. I'm more fearful of, well, do you think it's a good idea? And would you even, would you even give to it? Do you think that that's the right strategy? Because the bottom line is, is it's kind of like us and Gideon. There's a bunch of us in here who have a variety of opinions. You know what I'm talking about? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. And there are so many ways that we can accomplish what God's set for us to do. And there are a variety of different people. Matter of fact, if you own your own business, you know what it's like to make decisions. You know what it's like to make them under tight constraints. And oftentimes you wonder if we'll have the finance to move the company forward. The bottom line is, is the Lord has just spoke to me that, Brandon, there's nothing for you to to fear any longer. And and even in this, in, in this text, he's even confirmed to me that, Brandon, I've got the right people for the right time for the right things. And yes, there may be some that don't agree, and there may be some that ultimately leave. But Brandon, you have to trust in either men, or you have to trust in me. And what I've really decided over the last few weeks is that I'm going to trust in the Lord. That I'm not going to trust in the opinion of men. And more than that, I'm not going to fear you. And I fear you. I fear, like, does he think, do you think I'm a good pastor? Does he do a good job? Is he there enough? Is he not there enough? What? I fear you. And isn't that crazy how a pastor can lead a church of people who he fears because I'm not ever sure if, if you even like me. And you're like, don't come up after like, I like you, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying this is what I grapple with. This is like, this is real internal struggles that I have. A couple of weeks ago, I heard a song. And when I heard this song, just from the very, very first few words, God just came over me. And I'm like, I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm literally weeping. And the Lord just began to use this song to speak to me in a way that he said, Brain, I got this. I got it. And he just led me through a series of days in which he said, I got this. I got it. You're going to have to become more committed. You're going to have to be more disciplined in some of the things that we're going to do. Brain, I got this. And maybe you're in a season of life right now, like you just struggle with fear. Like you, you don't really tell people about it because you are, you're tough, you know. And then there are some of you ladies that you're like, I don't really know how to express it, but you just are fearful. There's just a lot of things going on. Maybe this will speak to you. Maybe you've been in the word of God and you're just like, I just need a fresh word, but you're not getting it. Maybe you've been in prayer, but you just feel like you're hitting a ceiling. Well, maybe somehow the way that God orchestrates this thing called music, that he can speak to, to you as he spoke to me. And so I just want you to kind of sit there. You don't have to stand. You don't have to respond the way. Typically, when a note is played at some point, somebody's like, they stand. Just listen and then respond as God tells you to. But you got to pay attention to these words, especially these, these first ones. surround me with a song of deliverance from all my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God and I'm no longer 
wonder like what prevents us from continuing to live in fear well the only thing that prevents me personally from living in fear is knowing what God has already done and like he like here's the thing like this is the greatest hope for believers like listen to this listen the reason you can trust God with everything now is because he's never let you down in the past and if he's walked through you in other places and in other things why would he stop now And so what I know, and I know it to be true in my own life, and I know it to be true in the life of our church, that he said, Brandon, I am going to pave the way. And as he's confirming this, as I sit and listen to this very song, there's a bridge, and this bridge comes. And I've never heard this song before, like ever. And this is what it says. And this church is why we respond to God because of what he's done. Yeah. 
child of God. Yes, we are. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Because I am a child of God. Isn't it incredible how oftentimes God can use music to stir our soul? Well, the bottom line is he used that to stir my soul a couple of weeks ago. And uh, that's why I could say that although I confess to you that I am fear, I, I can also give you an apology. I can tell you that I am so sorry for leading our church out of fear. Because the bottom line is, is when I lead out of fear, it means that I don't trust God and I don't believe that he can call us all to greater heights. It means that I stop challenging, and literally I put a, a lid on where God is taking us. And the bottom line is, God is taking us to big things. And how do I know that? It's because he gives us hope. Matter of fact, look what he does just in the story of Gideon. In verse 12, it says, The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, and they were thick as locusts. Their camels could no, be, no more be counted than all the sand on the seashore. And so here it is, Gideon, with 300 men now, are going to go and they're going to wipe out a people who have 134,000 men and more camels than you can count. And they're wondering, how are we going to do this? And here's the deal, is that Gideon approaches in fear, but... God says, I'm going to confirm something to you. And so he goes to the outpost of their camp. And as he's approaching the camp, he hears a man across enemy lines. And he's speaking to another man. And he says, in verse 13, Gideon arrived just as the man was telling his friend about a dream. I had a dream. And he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling in to the Midianite camp. And it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and it collapsed. My friend, the loaf of barley is the Jewish people. The bottom line is, is when the Jews had great provision and they had a bunch from the Lord, they had wheat and they had plenty of it. But when they had to turn to barley, they had to take the, the food, what was left over, and they had to bring it into the house and they had to make bread out of what they usually fed, what? Their animals. Why? Because it was lean times. And so was it a dry time? Yes, because they were what? Using barley. And this is a dry time in the life of Israel. And they're going to roll in in the dry period in the season of Israel, this period of judges. And they're going to what? Display who God is through his power to this Midianite camp. And they're going to roll over it. And in verse 14, it says, His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. Do you get this? Like God confirmed it. He approaches the camp. The guy goes, yes, there's going to be something happen. There's going to be this barley loaf. It's going to roll over the tent. And it must be what? Gideon, the son of Joash from the Israelite camp. And he responds. He does something that all of us should do. And he hits the floor. He bows down and he worshiped. Do you see this? His response was worship. And then he returns to the camp of Israel and he called out, get up. And I can imagine he's going around the camp and he's clapping. Hey, get up, get up. It's in the middle of the night and he is encouraging his troops. Get up, we're going to war. And they're all going, what? Huh? There's 300 of us. We're all that's here. And he goes, get up. We're going. Get up. We don't need everything. Get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. God has gone before us. 
And why in the world can he go in faith knowing that the Lord is going to use 300 men and a handful of objects to overcome 134,000 people? Because he knows what? What God has done. You got that? We just sang that song. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. All my fears were drowned in perfect love. Like the reason that he's able to walk forward is because of God's provision. And let me explain something to you. Just the chapter before, Gideon cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, if you're really there, then I, I want to put you to the test. And he puts him to the test. An angel of the Lord shows up. And he shows how big. And Gideon walks away. And he's like, oh, Lord, you surely are there. And then he approaches the Lord. And he goes, Lord, can I just test you one more time? And he puts a fleece out on the ground on the threshing floor. And he said, Lord, if you're real and you really are with me and you're really with our camp, would you just cover the fleece and dew and leave everything else around the threshing floor dry? And the next morning he got up and he goes out to that fleece. And that fleece is wet and the threshing floor is dry. And it's so wet that he takes that fleece and he just wrings it out and it fills a bowl with water. And he goes, Lord, that was pretty impressive. That was pretty good. But... If you're really with me, I saw the first act, the miracle. I saw the second act, the miracle. But this time, if I put a fleece out on the ground, and this time leave the fleece dry and everything else on the fleshing floor is wet, then I'll know you're with me. And guess what? He goes out the next morning, and the fleece is what? Dry. And he walks away, and he goes, wow, you're with me. And so when the Lord confirms to him that I am delivering the Midianites into your hands, the reason he knows that is because all that God had done before. And you may wonder, like, how do I know that God can lead us to greater heights here? Well, here's why. Because I know all that God has done before. Literally, five years ago this fall, we're meeting with 13 people. And this last Easter, we celebrated Easter with 1,300 people. That's a God thing. Like, that's a God thing. Totally. Amen. The crazy thing is we're meeting with 13 people five years ago. We get this plan in motion. There's about 35 of us that are like, we're going to set sail. We have no money. We have like $6,000 in the bank. I come up with this partnership that we had, had developed, had gone through a lot of training with this group of people. And they said, Brandon, we'll guarantee you $10,000 for your building, and then we'll support you monthly for three years. And I'm like, fantastic, I'm, I'm in, okay, I, we can do this. And we get lumber delivered to this building, which, by the way, didn't have a wall in the place. And we have about $7,000 worth of lumber. When One day, I get a call from this partner, and they said, Brandon, we hate to do this, but we can't fund you. I'm like, what do you mean you can't fund me? I'm like, we can't fund you. There's a pastor in your area that does not want you guys here. And there's a church that... They've done everything they can. They've gone all the way up to the executive leadership, and they don't want you here. I'm like, it doesn't matter if they want us here. Like, you've agreed. Your word's your word. And they said, we can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. Our hands are tied. In that moment, I'm like, wow, really? I know we've got $7,000 worth of lumber, and we have about $5,000 in the bank. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I guess I'll write a personal check, and it'll just, you know, we'll just deal with it. And then within seven days of that time, I kid you not, we get a $25,000 check and a $7,500 check. And God takes everything that would have been funded in that three-year period, and he takes care of it in one week. And he says, Brandon, do you trust me now? And at that point, I'm like, I get it. I get it. 
Thank you, Lord. I get it. I get it. Thank you. Thank you. But as we've gone, do you know that it's so easy to be distracted and forget what God's called you to. But the bottom line is, as I look back over the past five years, four and a half of actually being launched, and I can remember the countless lives who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that you experienced peace in your life for the very first time, hope for the very first time. I've seen what it's like to sit with people in families and hospital rooms and hear doctors say, your husband will not make it. And that husband was sitting in the first service today. I have been with people in hospital rooms and waiting rooms when they said, your loved one will not make it, and they haven't made it. And we have walked along on a journey, and God's peace has guided you, although it's been difficult. I have been with many of you through ups and downs. And I've been with you when we first uh, came up with a challenge. We had about $9,000 coming in a month. And I decided, hey, what would it look like if we led our church to give $10,000 on one Sunday? And we just gave it all away. And one Sunday, the very first uh, opportunity we had at Christmas, we did an all-in offering. But we called it the Be Present offering at that time. And we had $11,000 come in. It was like a God moment. Wow, God, you're awesome. We can't give very generously through the month, but man, this is one Sunday. We're awesome. We got it. You're good. And then this last October, we're in prayer service, and I'm huddled up in prayer right over here, and I feel like the Lord says, Brandon, I want you and your church to give $50,000 away. And I go to my leadership team, and I talk to them. I'm like, hey, guys, this is what I feel like God's calling us to do. And they're like, hey, let's do it. And then about four times after that, I'm like, guys, y'all sure we want to say $50,000? We don't give $50,000 a month. We still don't. Even now, we still do not. We average about forty-four dollars to $45,000 a month of giving here. And in one Sunday, back in December, this church, through God's provision and his help and what he called, he said, you tell them the challenge and we'll come through $67,000, almost $68,000 in one weekend. That's amazing. I've experienced God's peace in my own life. The guy that I dreamed this thing up with was my best friend and was killed in an accident. And God has walked me through that. Like, guys, God has been so faithful. And so I apologize to you today that I'm sorry because God has been so faithful to us in the past. Why would he stop being faithful and being, being who he has always been to us in our church now? That's not who God is. And so he says, hey, Keep moving forward. And so I just tell you, if Romans 8.31 says, then what shall, then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think that's something we have to just really gravitate to because God is good. And I heard this song, and uh, maybe it's helpful to you. Maybe you just need to know that God is good, that he has not left you, that he has not abandoned you out in this wilderness area. And maybe you just need to respond at some point in this as you listen. So enjoy this. thousand stories of what they think you're right, but I heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. To you are, to you are, to you are. 
So if you're like Gideon and you believe that God is good, then you have nothing but what to move forward. And so I want you to see what he does. This is pretty incredible to me, but he presses on and he divides the men that he has, all 300 of them, into three companies. 
And then get this, he places a trumpet, an empty jar in their hands, and they have torches inside of them. And so he says this, watch me, he told them, follow me, follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And so I'm just coming before you today, and I am asking you to take a step of faith, and I'm asking you to follow my lead. I'm asking you to trust the leadership of our church in following our lead. Not because we've always done it right, not because we have all the answers, but because we believe that God is calling us to things. And we believe that it's worth trusting him for because he has proven himself over and over and over again. Now get this, I don't know exactly what it looks like and what he's going to call us to do or how he's going to call us to accomplish it. Because I don't always believe, I guess, um, that God's wisdom is great. Like, look what happens. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Look, look what happens. I, I do believe that his wisdom is great, but I don't always catch it at first. Look at it. He says, watch them. Watch me. Follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. And so they're strategic in their mission as they go, and they blow their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. Now, get this. You tell me that God says, go and win this battle, and he gives you a trumpet, a vessel, and a light. That's it. And I'm like, do what? I mean, give me a sword, an axe. Give me something. Like, if I'm going to start charging these men, give me something. I want a chance. I mean, what am I going to do? Hey, stay away. Here's my light. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm, and I'm sure that Gideon's like, what? But here's the crazy thing. They knew what this trumpet meant. This trumpet is actually a shofar. And a shofar was, it was a resounding trumpet. It's the same trumpet that after they marched around the walls of Jericho, they blew out and the walls fell down. And God says, you remember that? I'm giving you a trumpet. And only unless you're the people of Israel would you know that this trumpet could actually do something. Matter of fact, in the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, they would know that their their debt was forgiven. And it was a, a new symbol and a sign to the people that God was a covenant God and he remembered their land. And in the year of Jubilee, they would blow this shofar. When they dedicated the temple, they would blow the shofar. When they had the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would blow the shofar. And it was a reminder of God's salvation to his people. And God says, I'm going to give you a shofar, a trumpet for you to blow. And when you blow it, it's going to be a reminder of who I am. And then get this. Anytime they would go into war, they would blow the shofar. And typically when one man blew a shofar, he had 100 men behind him. And so it meant that for every leader that blows, there's another hundred men in the company. Well, you remember I said, underline this earlier, that all the men who left gave their provisions and their trumpets, and they left them behind to the 300. And so all 300 of these men now have a shofar. And when Gideon says, when I do my thing, he says what? I want you to do yours. And they blow their trumpets. They broke their jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets. They were to blow and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! And then everything breaks loose. And look what happens. While each man held his position around the camp, they never move. They blow their trumpet. 
They smash their vessels, they hold their lights, and they don't move. And all the Midianites start running. They're crying out as they flee. And when 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord calls the men throughout the camp to run onto each other with their swords. And the army fled to Beth Shittah, down to Zerah, as far as to the border of Abel Mahalah, near Tabith. And they're gone. And as I'm this studying, I'm like, King... Kings remembered this. Kings knew this story. Even David, he said, Lord, for you are a light unto my feet in Psalm 18. The Lord my God illuminates my darkness, for by you I can run upon a troop, and by you, my God, I can leap over a wall. He goes, God, there's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that we can't do through you. Jonathan, a friend of David and Samuel, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, Jonathan's got to go, and he's going to come up against the Philistines. And as he does, he comes with his young man, an armor bearer, and he says, Come and let us cross over the garrison, over these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Because he doesn't need many, because he can accomplish what he wants when he wants. A promise that all Israel would know is Leviticus chapter 26. It's a covenant to their people. A covenant that if you're faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. If you curse me, I'm going to curse you. And this is what he says in Leviticus chapter 26, 7 and 8. He says, but you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. And your enemies will fall before you what, with the sword. Is that not what's happened? God says, Gideon, I've got this. And yes, all you got to trumpet. But that trumpet, when I'm behind it, it's a pretty powerful thing. And all you've got this vessel. But if it's broken before me, I can use it. And yes, you've got a light. And if that light shines brightly because I illuminate it, then you've got hope. And you may be here today and you're like me. Like, what in the world? A trumpet, a vessel, and a light. Well, here's the bottom. Fast forward thousands of years and you, my friends, are the ones who get to proclaim the victory as the trumpet sounded on the day of Calvary in which Jesus Christ laid down his life. He made a trumpet. He created what we call the church age. And he says, this is the beginning of the book and I'm going to hell at the very end with a trumpet sound, the end of the book. And until then, you have a limited time to be a vessel broken before God and a light that shines. And you're the church. And you get to choose. Am I going to be a vessel broken before the Lord? Am I going to humble myself? And I'm going to allow my life to be broken and shattered before a holy God? And am I going to let my light shine for all the world to see? Isn't that what he says in Philippians 2.15? Paul writes to the church in Philippi who's having a hard time. He says, let your light shine before men. Matter of fact, you should do what? shine lights as if you're shining them in the universe. Isn't that what he writes to the church of Corinth? Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6-9, through 9, I'll put them up for you on the screen. Look at this. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness... He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have the treasure in jars of clay. Who's the jar of clay, my friend? You are. You are. So that in all of this surpassing power, it's from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not, what? Abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You and I are the church, and we have a choice. Can we let our light shine? Will we be obedient and trust God even when it doesn't make sense? 
Well, you can look and see how the story ends. If you continue to read down, God hands over the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all of them to Gideon and to the Israelite army. Matter of fact, they take their, their great warriors and they actually bring them into the camp in verse 25 with their heads. And literally, you've got uh, this incredible guy who is, is a leader uh, and you've got his head and then you've got another one and you've got his head. And so you've got Oreb and Zeb. Oreb means the wolf, and Zeb means the raven. You've got the one who, who kills, and you've got the one who, who what? Plucks all the way to the bone. And both of their heads are being held up by Israel because God saved. And so at the risk of sounding foolish, I just want to encourage you to hear what God's called us to. What I feel like he called us to a year ago, and I've never really expressed to you, but I got to uh, because... A couple of weeks ago, God said, Brandon, I've got this, and you don't need to worry about it anymore. And so, really, to be honest with you, he's allowed me to lead as I need to lead. And the bottom line is, is yes, there is a risk of us losing 99% of our men. The bottom line, God says, I've got this. And there will be men who will keep their eyes focused on the task, and they'll come alongside, and they'll love, and they'll lead, and they'll be the church. They'll be broken vessels, and their lights will shine, and that's all I need is a handful of men. A handful not to run in fear. A handful not to second guess what God's calling us to. A handful that say, let's do this. And so what is it? Well, um, our county, as of 2013, has 52,000 people in it. I feel like God calling us in the next 10 years to reach 10% of those people. 5,000 people in Van Zandt County in the next 10 years. And he's going to accomplish it through his church here at Stone Point. And you go, well, how in the world are we going to do it? I, I don't know, but I'll tell you how it's going to start. One, it's going to start with faithful men who will invite your friends to church, who will live out the way you're supposed to live it. Because the bottom line is your church, that you were, you, the, the people you were drinking with last night, they don't need to come with you this morning because they don't see the point. But if they'll see a faithful witness of a broken man before them, a vessel in which is being used by God who lets his light shine, then they'll go, you know what, maybe I'll try that out with you. And they'll come. And when they come, then we're going to trust that God will do what he does and he'll transform their lives. Because bottom line is, is that's what God's in the business of doing, is changing lives. And we're going to trust that he'll do that. We also know that there has to be some sort of method. And so what is that? Well, we're going to start new campuses. And I know that the theory oftentimes is, well, why don't you just build one huge campus and everybody can drive here? Because if it's a church worth going to, they'll drive to it. But the bottom line is our strategy is a little different. Let's build hubs throughout our entire county, and let's start in Edgewood. We've been talking about this for a year, but the bottom line is it hadn't really panned out. Well, guess what? God's opened the door, and he's panned it out. And so we're going to do three services starting this fall. We're going to do one in October, November, and December, and they're going to be preview services, which all of you Edgewood folks and all of you Wills Point folks that go, you know what, I believe in reaching our county, you can be there. And if we have 300 there and we have 300 here, then praise God. But the bottom line is we're going to go win that area of our county. Why? Not because people in Edgewood can't drive here, but because people in Grand Saline are not likely to drive the 25 miles, but they might drive the 12. And get this, as we see God open doors in Grand Saline ISD, which he's already doing, by the way, just FYI, then guess what? People in, what, Ben Wheeler and Van may drive there. And as God creates opportunities there, we're just going to let him lead us. And we're going to say, all we're going to do is we're going to be vigilant in praying. We're going to be faithful in orchestrating 
ways to reach people. And so what are we going to do? We're adjusting our budget. Our budget is going to be a lot less about padding cash and a lot more about investing it and changing lives. And so we're going to put our finances, our resources in reaching people, and we're going to trust God for the rest. And so what does that look like? Well, we're going to have the three previews and then the start of the year, provided that God uses that, we're going to start weekly. Now, we feel so confident that it's going to go over, not because we believe we've got the answers, not because we believe our strategy is the best, but because we think that the Lord has told us to do it, that we've already bought four acres there in Edgewood sitting on Highway 80 frontage, and it's paid for, and it's owned by Stone Point Church, and we paid cash for it because we believe that we can't do the school thing for a real long time because it will wear people out, but we need that as a guide to see how big of a building we really need there. And so that's how we're going to start. And we're going to invest some money there. And you go, well, what about the money that's going to be used for stage and lights? Well, guess what? Once we move into a real building, we don't need that stage and lights. We can take it to another campus and use those. And so we're not spending money frivolously. We're using it to reach people. Praise God. Now, with that, you go, well, okay, well, what about Will's Point? Aren't we kind of getting slided here? I mean, we just kind of get this little building and we're just, I mean, yeah, hey, tough it up. Let's go. We keep rolling. We'll go to seven services if that's what it means, right? <laughs> Actually, here's what we feel like. We feel like we can't add on to this building because we don't own it. And we feel like we have done the steps necessary to keep from growth from just dying. And we're on the edge right now. But instead of continuing to pay $1,100 in rent, we thought, why don't we just buy it? And why don't we not only buy it, but let's add some land that in the future, if we need to expand, we have that opportunity. And so what we've done is we've secured this building, and we've, we're buying it. And not only that, we have this and plus another five acres. And so this building sits on now 6.29 acres that Stone Point Church owns. And we pay, get this, another $200 extra a month which is less than probably one-half of 1% of our annual budget. Not even that. I mean, it's pennies on the dollar. And the bottom line is, is that this is ours. And so as God calls us to expand this building, which he is calling us to, and we'll tell you about that at a later point, then we got to find a way to step it up. And we're going to have a lot of things. And you're like, well, how are we going to do all this? I don't know, but we're going to trust God. And so some of you out there that have a million dollars, we know that you're the person, okay? <laughs> I know, like you've got it all hidden and nobody else, like you're driving your 1988 Cadillac and nobody suspects you, but God said they're there. And so we're going to trust him. We don't know, but that's, that's the direction God's calling us to. And so we're going we're gonna to figure out ways to upgrade this building so that we, we are not packed to the doors in a second service and that you can move around and you have a little bit. But, but until then, we gotta, we got to keep pressing on. And the fourth thing is this, is we, we know that we cannot continue to do this alone. And so uh, leadership is hard. And I'm not making excuses to you, but oftentimes the reason that I fear is, is that I'm like, we're a handful of four men and we're making a lot of decisions. And there's a lot of things that happen on a day-to-day basis that are difficult decisions. But what we feel like God's calling us to is add an elder team, a, men, a group of men who come alongside of us and that they help us make decisions for the best health and wellness of our body. Men who are faithful to the Lord that meet the qualifications of the Scripture. Men who are already faithful to ministry that they're serving diligently. And that, that you, when, you, when you hear them as elders, you go, yeah, that makes sense. 
And then not only that, people who are already giving financially, that they're already tithing and they're already, that they're, they're supporting this. But the reason we want them to be on our team is that as we make more decisions, as we talk about larger sums of money, we want to have checks and balances. We want to have guides and accountability. We want people to help us as we write church polity and uh, as we continue to discuss things and how we're going to make decisions in the future. And so that's something that we hope to accomplish by the end of this year, which is about four months. And so God is leading us to what? Look for great men and women in our church who will come alongside and say, God, we trust you. We believe that you are good, that you are faithful, and that you are just, and that you are going to change our county. And we ask you that you would be a part of that journey. And if you are, that, that look, that you would really, really be in prayer and that you would really be committed to God and his church. Amen? And so let me just tell you this. I, I want to close out with another song, okay? And this is a song that many of you have heard and you've sung many times at Stone Point. But maybe it will have a little new meaning to you. And uh, maybe God will call you out. And maybe you're a man in here and God's calling you out to lead better in your family. Like that's where you need to start. You, you don't need to be worrying about, okay, how am I going to step up here? You need to step up at home. Your wife needs to know you love the Lord. There are some of you in here that you, you need to just begin working on your own fears and you just need to give those to the Lord and say, God, okay, I'm going to trust that you have this because you, you've had my back before, but God, I need to trust you now. And there are others of you that he's calling you to, to get plugged in, to to get connected with people, to serve. Well, you have a great opportunity this afternoon, and we would love to help you move forward in your faith. That's one of the reasons the church exists, is to help partner with you as you walk forward. But the bottom line is you cannot walk forward until you're ready to step out on faith. And so my prayer is that God would call us to just that. We love you, church. We love you, love you, love you. I am sorry that I have not called you to the greater heights that God's called us to. And I say unapologetically that we have great things ahead. And God is going to lead us and guide us. And he is going to use those that are here that will follow him and trust him. Be diligent to him and his word and to prayer to accomplish things that we look back on 20 years from now and go, how in the world did God do that? Because I'll tell you this. I'll look at weekend services and I'm like, God, how in the world have you done this? Because it's in spite of men and it's in spite of me. It's that he is faithful. And so may you know he's faithful. Church, may you know he is faithful. He is good. He is good.
So 